0: Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only.
1: Exclusions apply.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Post Wrestling's UFC 251 Post Show. I am John Pollock, along with... The man of the many, 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 many hours that comprised UFC 251. He is Phil CherTalk.
0: Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Uh, Happy to wind down the night with you. A very exciting night of fights. Um, Yeah, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing okay. I didn't have to talk, though, for what was a uh, four-hour pay-per-view Uh, which you just completed with Eric Marcotte.
0: Yes. Uh, Well, thankfully, because Eric was helping me out, I didn't have to talk through the whole uh, show. Eric was there to help me. But, you know, we were having a great time. We were talking to a lot of people in uh, the post-live call channel, and uh, we'll be taking calls later if anybody wants to join the post-live calls channel on Discord. Um, So we had a good time. It was a lot of fun fights, especially during that main card portion.
2: Why don't you tell people that maybe are listening on the YouTube stream, if they want to call in, uh, where can they go?
0: Yeah, so to call in, what you need to do is you need to join the Post Wrestling Discord. And there is a link for that on the postwrestling.com website. Right at the top. And once you've joined Discord, you just need to join our voice channel that is dedicated to uh, taking live calls. You'll see that John and myself are in there right now. And then later in the show, when we take calls, what we're going to do is we'll unmute you and we'll put you on air for your question.
2: So we know it's a super late for people on the East Coast, especially, uh, pretty much for for everyone. Uh, So we will uh, spend a lot of time talking about the main card, and then we'll kind of zip through the undercard. And I do want to get to everyone's phone calls as soon as we can, because I know uh, some will want to get through to us. But off the top, Phil, three title fights on a pay-per-view. Are you a fan of the idea of loading up with three championship fights? And do you think that it is... uh, it's 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 enticing for a large amount of people having three title fights.
0: Well, the idea of it is nice, right? It sounds like a magical, mystical evening where uh, you know UFC fighters are showered in gold. Um, but the reality, as we've come to learn of these events, is they tend to drag on a little bit and they sort of zap you of your energy. Now, thankfully, tonight I had all the postmarks, uh, you know, pumping me up. So I've got plenty of energy. Um, but on the whole, I don't typically like these uh, triple title cards, but they do present an interesting opportunity to create a really exciting event. I
2: think that there is certainly a hype factor to it. Uh, maybe it's just me, but I see three title fights, and what I think of immediately is what we get tonight, where it's fifteen rounds and two plus hours uh, dedicated to three fights, and maybe it's also the fact that we're now starting our post show at two in the morning, so that's that's compounded uh, to the time dedicated to a three title fight evening.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, thankfully, you know, the main card was was fairly exciting. Um, the the last fight uh, wasn't uh, the most thrilling, but there were moments of excitement. Um, but yeah, it, it's a little bit draining and, and starting this uh, at two o'clock in the morning or yeah, two o'clock in the morning when I'm the type of person who usually gets up at six. Yeah, it, it, but it's OK. You know, I, I said we, we were we said we were done complaining, right? Oh, we'll spend lots of time complaining. I mean, it's okay. uh, we, we were done Hallmark. complaining for that show. I got it. Well, let's get into
2: the uh, main card without further ado, and we're going to kick things off with the main event of the evening, Kamaru Usman against Jorge Masvidal. Of course, Masvidal was taking this fight on less than one week's notice, uh, made weight on Friday, and I guess watching this, Phil, I mean, this was a fight that it ended up going 25 minutes and it seemed like Masvidal had a great opening round. Um, most people I saw gave him that first round, including myself. And then you just saw as each round progressed that this was Kamaru Usman dictating his style. And it wasn't the most exciting game plan, but you can't argue it was a very effective one where he was able to uh, clinch with Mosvidal, hold him against the fence, um, stomped his foot maybe 2,050 times. Uh, Throughout these 25 minutes, and was and as the rounds progressed, also starting to mix in takedowns, was controlling him on top. And for Mosvidal, to me, it was his energy just depleted by each successive round. And this was a guy that um, you can say all you want. I think the you know he had hoped to be getting this Kamaru Usman fight, and we had indications that, you know, it's not like this guy was just coming out of nowhere to take this fight. He was in decent shape, but to me, he was not in five-round championship fight shape. And, I mean, we knew that going in, and the way this fight went, it bared itself out.
0: Yeah, that that perfectly describes the action. Amaz Vidal had a tremendous first round uh, and really looked sharp on the feet. But once Usman... Went to the bread and butter of uh, controlling with the wrestling, the same game plan he used against Tyrone Woodley. Tyrone Woodley, rather, um, that proved to be just too much. And and as you said, Masvidal didn't quite have the gas in the tank to go five hard rounds the way that he wanted. Um, and it was an impressive performance by Usman.
2: It seemed that Masvidal to. I mean, there were elements where he was, I think, just really trying to rattle Kamaru, whether it was just just laughing at him or ju- just trying to get him to break. And Usman was not going to break. I mean, Usman is a very focused competitor that it's going to be very hard for any welterweight uh, to beat at this point. Um, do, do you see this fight being drastically different if we had seen Jorge Masvidal have eight weeks to prepare for this fight? Or do you think that ultimately... Kamaru Usman's a better fighter, but this was just an exaggerated version of that because Masvidal didn't have that full camp.
0: I do think we could have seen a better performance from Masvidal. I, I think the fact that so much of what he does is based around, you know, creating explosive combinations, um, but I do think that Usman is the better fighter, and I do think his strategy would still uh, bear a victory. Um, he just has so much control in those wrestling positions. And one thing he was doing really well um, early on in the fight, even when Masvidal was having success, he did a great job of fainting with his takedowns to land mm-hmm. strikes. And uh, I think that's something that is going to be very, very difficult for um, people to deal with who aren't just like the most elite wrestlers.
1: So
2: we talked on our preview show earlier this week about the, the big possibilities if, if Jorge Masvidal were to, to pull off the, this, this victory tonight, I mean, what it could set him up for in the future. Uh, the opposite is true with Kamara Usman. What do you want to see out of uh, Kamaru Usman next within that welterweight division? Do you think that Gilbert Burns is owed this title fight? Or do you think that him, I mean, he was not the optimal challenger when he got that fight. Uh, do you think that he gets passed over for a- anyone else at one seventy?
0: Um, he could get passed over if, you know, there like because this um, you know, pandemic promotion situation is so fluid, um, you know, the opportunity uh could uh play a big factor. Now Usman, he's gonna get a lot of money from this event. I wouldn't be surprised if he decides to take a vacation. Hopefully not to Disney World. And um I I think that um so I, I do think Burns could get another shot because he's, um, really willing. Um, assuming he has a speedy recovery from, uh, COVID. Um, and I think the UFC is eager to put him in that fight. And I think the, um, teammate angle could sell. Um, Usman is the, he's dominant. He's not really a star. He's a type of guy you're going to have to build over a long time with, I think.
2: Do you see him having that potential to break through at at some point or do you think that this is it, he he's going to be that this this dominant fighter but is not going to hit that level. He will be someone that, you know, it'll be very much contingent on having an opponent that is going to be the marquee attraction.
0: Yeah, I think there will be opportunities to sell things like GSP didn't often have Um, You know, a lot of trash talk. I mean, he had notable rivalries, but he had a history of having uh, lackluster performances. Um, So I think if Usman is able to continue a path of domination, that's a story that can be sold. Um, Now, is his fighting style terribly thrilling? Typically, not really. And he's also not the type of person who really engages in too much trash talk, right? He's a family man. He's about his daughter. And that's certainly charming and endearing in a lot of ways. But I'm not sure that that's going to have a mass, mass appeal.
2: Yeah, really, the guy that brought the best out of him was Colby Covington. And they had a dynamic fight back in December as well. I would have said tonight that had this fight been relatively close, I think you could have made the argument that, the best way to go is a rematch with it with a full camp. But I just thought this was such a one-sided fight that I I don't know if you can justify any kind of rematch with, with Masvidal, even though, you know, he's a huge star, but tonight's fight was pretty, pretty one-sided.
0: Yeah. And I don't, I don't really see the point in doing that. There's other fights for Masvidal and, um, you know, there's a Colby Covington fight lurking for Masvidal. There's always a Nate Diaz fight. Um, so I, I don't really see any reason to do a rematch. It, it doesn't, it's not even the biggest fight for Masvidal, a rematch. So yeah, it, it almost
2: feels coming out of it, like whatever Masvidal does next, I think that's going to have way more attention than what Usman has lined up, which are probably like your Gilbert Burns is your Leon Edwards, which are fine fights, but not big fights. That's kind Precisely. of the, the tale of two alterweight divisions uh, that we'll see. Um, any other final thoughts, just before we uh, move on from this? I, I, you know, it was it was a fine performance from Kamaru Usman. It just was not the most entertaining fight.
0: Yeah, sort of remi- reminiscent of uh, you know this happens often UFC events. You have these really exciting cards that sort of get overshadowed by a you know and blase main event. Uh, George Saint Pierre most famously did that at the Sky Dome. Um, but uh, but nonetheless, you know that's not a knock on Kamaru Usman he he did what he needed to do to win. He he was dominant. He's the clear champion. I mean, he's barely lost any rounds. I mean, two two judges gave him the first round, right? Which was a Yeah, that was
2: Yeah, I don't know how you Well, I mean, tonight we did have a lot of uh non-recognizable judges, um not your usual names that are are judging uh fights and we had some wacky scores uh, throughout the night, but yeah, I, I don't know how you give uh, Kamaru Usman that first round. I mean, he had a dominant performance, but to me, it wasn't a clean sweep. I concur. All right. That's all I wanted. I just wanted justification for my point. That's all, Phil. You could say, F off, Pollock. I disagree. John um, wants a bobblehead. We're probably going to disagree on, on this next fight. I feel I, I am in the minority uh, on this one. Uh, first of all, I thought this was a great fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway. And when it it was over, I was completely ready for a third fight between these two. I don't think that's going to be happening in the near future. Um, But this was, um, first of all, uh, Max Holloway came out and you could see the significant adjustments that he made from the first fight. And these first two rounds, um, it was a significantly improved Max Holloway from the first. uh, And I think most people had him winning these first two rounds. He was uh, extremely aggressive. Uh, He was landing kicks to the body. um, And at the end of each round, there was something big that landed on Volkanovsky. In the first, it was this high kick that landed. And in the second, this right uppercut that briefly put Volkanovsky down. So, I mean, I was very impressed by Max Holloway in these first 10 minutes.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, Max came out with a tremendous approach. He was very aggressive early. Um, definitely wanted, didn't want to be a slow starter. Um, he didn't specifically have any direct address for the leg kicks like he wasn't checking them but he was moving a lot more and he was pressing forward and i think that that was giving him a lot more success and uh volkanovsky was definitely getting frustrated and even though he was still landing those uh, big shots that you mentioned that dropped him at the end of those rounds pretty much uh gave it to max yeah um it was yeah competitive rounds uh, up until
2: the end where holloway really cemented those rounds round 3 i thought was such a close round that it could have gone either way here. Uh, we had uh, Volkanovsky certainly more active uh, throughout this round and also trying to go for a takedown, which was stopped. Uh, Holloway ended up uh, landing this knee to the body and Volkanovski hit this uh, left hand that I thought was pretty significant in the round. But I think this is the round that a lot of people will debate over this, this third one. Into the fourth, uh, we continue to see Volkanovski increasing his output. uh, Goes for the double underhooks, finally gets Holloway down, but Holloway is right back up, and it's Volkanovski throwing a lot of jabs. Holloway connected with a big right hand. um, And then we've... How did you have it after four rounds?
0: After four rounds, I had max up three rounds to one. Although... I Uh, uh, I gave Volkanovski the third... And gave Max the fourth. So for me, I agree okay. with you on the on the third one. It was the fourth. The difference for me was uh, there was an uppercut that Max landed in the middle of the round that sort of just you know stunned uh, Alex a bit. And you know, just again, it was just like this one moment in the round that stood out in a very competitive round. Uh, these this was a these last um, three and four I thought were really tight rounds. Three and four were the,
2: the close rounds. Um, I had it even after these. Um, but a lot had max up three one. So I, I totally see that, that, that scorecard. And then in the fifth, I think most agreed this was Volkanovsky's round. Uh, he got this trip takedown, uh, near the end, which probably gave some people that, that reassurance that he had won the round. But Holloway put on a lot of pressure here. He was going for a, a head kick, but, uh, did not land. And, Yeah, it was Volkanovski. I thought the key was at the end. He got that takedown and landed two big strikes on top that uh, for most, I think, kind of cemented that round for him. So, I mean, I I had it three to two for Volkanovski, so I can be that guy. Um, But I don't think I was alone either. Like I saw a lot of people out there that did have this score, uh, but many more had Max Holloway winning this fight. So I will admit I'm in the minority here.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, I thought it was a competitive fight. We had some people in the chat saying it was a robbery. I mean, it's not a robbery. Like, it, it, is it a bad decision? I don't even know if you can say it's a bad decision. It was a highly competitive fight. You look at the fight stats, very close. Um, it, it actually kind of reminded me of the first fight. And it flipped. Like, I thought Yeah, that yeah, totally. Max controlled most of the fight until the later rounds when uh, Alex made adjustments. But it wasn't enough. Except it was enough in the eyes of the judges, uh, not my eyes. So um, super close fight, very competitive. It almost you would I almost wanted Max to win just so we could get the trilogy fight because it does feel like a little bit is left on the table here. Yeah, th-
2: this is one fight I will go and rewatch because I I, I do want to watch it a, a second time because. I-, I thought it was that close. Like, at the end of this, I was not going to be upset either way of w- where this went. And I I can't get behind anyone believing this was a robbery. But you can certainly make the argument that after two fights, they've each won five rounds. I think that you could definitely look at that. Because uh, the first fight, I had Holloway, I think, winning the last two, as I recall. A- and this one, it's... I mean, it was very, very close. And those third and fourth, um, yeah. If I watch it again, I, I might... I might see something different that I didn't on the first viewing. But tonight, that's how I saw it. I would love to see this fight again at some point down the road. I think they will meet uh, at some point. I just don't see it being in the near future.
0: Yeah. uh, Alex, I mean, Max has a lot of options. He's a star. It was a really good performance from him, despite the L... And Volkanovski is sort of in a similar spot to Usman. I think he's a more exciting fighter than Usman, but he's still not really known. So he needs to be put in there against some big names, I guess. The only problem is Featherweight has great fighters who aren't really big names. So, um, uh, you know, Korean Zombie is somebody that really could uh, be an interesting uh, matchup, but it seems like the UFC wants to put him against Ortega first.
2: Yeah, I, I know the the beats fighting in the in the near future as well. I mean, you have some guys that are, um, you know, c- coming up. That's like Brian Ortega. Now that Max Holloway is not champion, I mean, he's kind of could be back in the mix. You have your yeah your Rodriguez's, uh, but then we're getting into like Dan Ige and Calvin Cater are fighting this Wednesday. Uh, that's yep, kind that's of the class fight. of that's a class of fighters you're seeing now. But yeah, I'm kind of curious. Max Holloway is sort of in this role where if it's not looking at lightweight as a prospect, it's it's him probably killing off a lot of contenders at featherweight because I see Max Holloway beating a lot of these featherweights.
0: Yeah, I mean, Max Holloway is an amazing fighter, and he did really great in this fight, even though he didn't get the W, and uh, I totally agree. I mean, I just don't see really who could beat him. I mean, Zabit's an interesting guy. We all, we've talked about wanting to see that, but Zabit has a lot to prove still despite all that he's shown us in the UFC. And as I mentioned on the preview show, I do still think that there's an opportunity for Holloway at 155. Um, is now the time to really make that commitment? I don't know about that because he, I, he's still within striking distance of that 145-pound uh, belt, but it's still an option for him down the line. And if he ever gets the Connor rematch, that's where it's going to be.
2: Yeah, I, I I hope he sticks around a featherweight. Like uh, I, I think that you know you can certainly make the argument he won he won this fight tonight um i think right now in his career it's the best weight class for him uh but he also might be looking like if he's looking at non-championship fights and you're just going to be fighting tough opponents but they're not pay-per-view main events um maybe you're looking at lightweight as being a lot more enticing for your career in terms of you know big fights that you can have
0: yeah it's just so long as uh if he goes to that weight class, he has to commit to that weight class and get the size for that weight class and, and prepare properly because jumping up to take on guys is not uh, the wisest move, as we learned from the Dustin Poirier experiment from last year.
2: Yeah, it would it would certainly I think benefit him to uh, say, hey, I'm going to go to lightweight, but I'm going to do it in January and er, at the at the earliest, like just put on the weight the right way instead of just. Uh, jumping up there and you get you know he's just not prepared for it because it's yeah it it is a big jump it's 10 pounds but I mean look at the size of some of these lightweights
0: oh yeah I mean you know Kevin Lee uh Habib uh, Justin Gaethje is very big for the weight class uh so yeah they're, they're very big boys up there
2: yeah. Um, this would be a very, very, very frustrating loss for his career, knowing that, you know, a lot of people had him winning this. And it's, you know, it's a significant step back for him uh, to not get this uh, this score. But um, it was a split decision. So two had it for Volkanovski and one for Holloway. And then our first of three title fights on the evening was Jose Aldo against Piotr Jan for the vacant bantamweight title. And I would say, Phil, that for three rounds this was a super competitive fight um i had jan and aldo splitting the first two rounds uh in the first it was uh jan landing really big early on and we saw one leg kick come out of aldo and he drops jan with this leg kick and it was like everyone was seeing the old jose aldo emerging in front of our eyes as he busts out his his big maneuver um and Aldo was very selective, though, with his kicks. It wasn't like he was throwing them uh, at any kind of uh, significant pace. Uh, but Aldo couldn't get the takedown, and it was Jan uh, getting into his guard and then connecting with this body shot in his guard. And Aldo's covering up, and Jan's just throwing down these strikes. So he ended the round in a big way. But then Aldo recovered in the second, and I thought won the second. Um, he kicked him in the chest. He hit this left hand to the body. And this started uh, Aldo just with these left shots to the body that uh, looked fantastic.
0: Yeah. uh, Aldo, I mean, you sort of mentioned it. We saw the Aldo of old. We sort of saw the entire history of Aldo in this fight in many ways. Like uh, outside of maybe some fence grabs and uh, amazing takedown defense. He showed a little bit of every part of what we've seen of him, good and bad.
2: Yeah, I mean, the announcers brought it up, but it it really is something that this guy is 33 years old, and we sometimes talk about him like he's 40.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's he's a Hall of Famer, and he's been... I mean, he's not officially a Hall of Famer, but everyone would agree he's a, a Hall of Famer, and he has been for so long. I mean, when was that... Uh, unofficial WEC pay-per-view. We were talking about to, that today. I mean, that was, that was a so decade long ago. ago. Yeah. I like, can. He's so he's still, you know, he's, he's effectively headlining pay-per-views right still.
2: Yeah. It's just, you know, he has a lot of miles on him, but um, I mean, I watched these, these first three rounds And I'm watching it. I'm like, this guy is competitive with like the upper echelon here. Uh, Unfortunately, the wheels came off as the fight progressed into the fourth and then to the fifth round. Because Jan was increasing his volume. He's jabbing away at Aldo. And you can see Aldo slowing down. And this is the opening for Jan. He lands these uppercuts and then trips Aldo, goes into his guard, and is landing these big shots as the round ends. And then into the fifth. There's a left hand that rocks Aldo, and Jan pounces. He is uh, just landing all of this ground and pound. He goes to a half guard. He's dropping elbows. Tons of left hands. Referee Leon Roberts is giving Jose Aldo every opportunity and then finding more opportunities for this guy to (laughs) save himself. Like, if Aldo had, like, any... Like There was no defense here. It was like he would twitch himself to move, and that was enough for Leon Roberts, and the strikes that are landing to his head, I lost count of. Finally, after these hammer fist, like just one after the other, Roberts finally steps in and stops it at 324 of the fifth round, but this was uh, a pretty sad ending here for uh, Jose Aldo, who just, again, I thought he looked great up through three rounds, and then he just couldn't keep up with the pace and the power shots uh, of Jan. So this was, to me, the the biggest victory of, uh, of Jan's career. And he really stepped up here and he was, hands down, the better fighter. But there was a lot of damage taken here by Aldo.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of damage. And yeah, he looked good, very good at moments in this fight. Um, there was even one point in the third round where it looked uh, like Jan was fading and and Aldo would be able to take over, but uh, he just couldn't maintain that same pace, and Jan got a second wind, and yeah, very impressive by Jan. Also showed some, you know, dealt with adversity in this fight. It it was not an easy fight for him. Definitely the toughest of his career, um, and showed why he's a champion.
2: I think after this fight that Jose Aldo... We'll have to look at – like I think Jose Aldo can be very competitive with 90% of the bantamweight division in these three-round fights. Um, but I think he is not going to be a factor at the championship level against your Piotr Jans, your, your – your, you know, the, the top, top div- – and you can have a career – Fighting, you know, everybody else. The question is, do you want that? I, I don't see a path back to the title for this guy, uh, but crazier things have happened, but I do feel this is one of those crossroads kind of losses for Jose Aldo. Like, what do you want your career to be? Are you just going to take fights where, I mean, you are going to take damage. Uh, you don't have a very clear path back to a championship. So if you're just fighting for the sake of it and a paycheck, that's fine. Plenty of people do that, but does, Jose Aldo want to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that will come down to him. We were sort of playing fantasy matchmaker a little bit, looking at what would be a good fight, and certainly uh, the opportunity at a Dominic Cruz versus Jose Aldo fight makes a lot of sense at this point in their careers, and that's been a dream matchup for people. So those types of fights could make sense. Uh, I mean, I don't... He just he just had a very close fight with uh, Maraysh and maybe had that been a five round fight he would have won that fight. Um, so I mean I don't think he's going to be champion, but I, I do think he can still compete with the elite in the division, potentially in a five round fight. It's just that Jan really just really kind of swarmed him. The pace of this fight was very high right from the start. It was extremely high
2: yeah um yeah and i thought like through 15 minutes was like there i i thought it was an extremely competitive fight like that that third round was like not a slam dunk for for jan either like it was Mm -hmm. it really was the fourth that it, it just seemed to be that's where the gap significantly widened for 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 jan and maybe we're somewhat uh discrediting jan like jan has proven he is at uh uh very super elite level. He is for real. Um, and probably a lot of bantamweights might have fallen in the same way as Jose Aldo. So I don't know if we have any definitive answers uh about Jose Aldo, but um certainly those last few minutes, um, that doesn't give me a lot of uh confidence in like what that damage is going to be uh affecting him in the future. To me, that was a lot of unnecessary damage that that he took that uh, from all the wars he's been in was probably unnecessary.
0: Yeah, it's uh, sort of reminded me of sort of Shogun Hua. Like he's had some really rough uh, losses. Right. Um, I mean, Aldo's a lot still at a much higher level than Hua is. But, you know, th- those uh, types of losses accumulate very rapidly. So um, take a lot of time off and then book the fight. Jessica
2: Andrade, Rose Nami Yunus, both former strawweight champions. They had their rematch, uh, from UFC 237. That was the fight where Nami Yunus was winning and then got slammed on her head, which in the video package, uh, Rose Nami Yunus said, she slammed me on my head. That's not cool. (laughs) No, it's not cool. How dare you? It's not cool at all. Uh, so, uh, she did avenge her loss here. I thought this was a phenomenal fight between these two, um, N- Nama Yunus, uh her speed was a major factor uh, in this fight. You saw Andraj, um, you know, I-, I thought a lot more technical than typical. And the announcers brought a lot of attention to the head movement we were seeing from her and at times landing on Nama Yunus. But with Nama Yunus, I mean, she was just so quick. And, you know, whether it was her jabs or just uh, increasing her output uh, as she did uh, down the stretch in the second round, uh, but then the third occurred and this was when, uh, Nami Yunus got, got tagged and Andraj hit this uppercut and followed up with another big shot, threw her down to the canvas. And, uh, Nami Yunus is all busted open here, uh, from her nose. And Nami Yunus was able to get up, got a takedown, but they were re- reversed and Andraj landed more hard, hard shots in the final minute. So I had a 29, 28 for Nami Yunus, but, uh, Number one, what did you score this fight? And and what did you think about uh, Nami Yunus' performance?
0: So I scored the fight the same way, 29-28. Uh, and uh, I thought Rose looked amazing in this fight. Her striking was so sharp. Her her punches, her straight left and her straight right were both so perfect. I, uh, the way that she finished with them too, it was so precise and so powerful. And, uh, it looked like she was effortless with it, cause it looked just as good in the third round as it did in the, in the first, even though, you know, she was slowing down a little bit. The fight was really tremendous. Uh, both women did really well. And Draja, as you mentioned, did come out with a clear game plan of more head movement, um, just a lot more movement in general. And it was working well for her, but, It felt, it didn't feel entirely natural. It felt like something that she'd clearly been working on over a while, but it wasn't part of her sort of core identity yet. And by the third round, it sort of, you know, Rose started to really land and and the head movement wasn't there. So Mm -hmm. um, I thought Andrade did a very good job. Preparing differently for this fight and started to have success, but Rose's footwork and her precision was too much. I think if Andrade can keep up with that training and get that head movement down better, she's going to improve and do really, really well. Like I, I wanted to see two more rounds of this. This this was an awesome fight, and uh, I would love to see this as a five rounder.
2: will probably propel Rose to a championship fight, but, I mean, down the road, could very well see these two again. Um, I thought I thought Nami Yunus looked really great here, and, yeah, I, I thought this was a, an excellent fight, and this got fight of the night. This got the bonus. Sounds about right to me. And the main card opened with Amanda Hebus defeating Paige Van Zandt and... I mean, this what she was a uh, Hebus was a minus nine hundred favorite, which part of me was thinking like those are really long odds here for for this fight. But I mean, the way this played out, I mean, she just started attacking Van Zant, and then all of a sudden threw her down to the canvas, and from there, um, man, Hebus was just so measured. She was so calm. She had this scarf hold on. And then she just took her time to maneuver, get control of the arm. And then she goes belly down and just locks it in. And Paige taps out at 221 of the first round. And yeah, this could very well be Paige Van Zandt's last UFC fight. And they, you know, they put someone that they thought would be very dangerous and someone that could get a significant win over,
0: you know, a a, a star in Paige Van Zandt. Yeah. Paige Van Zandt. Almost the worst case scenario here, just getting wiped out immediately. Um, Rebus looking very good, you know, just very patient. She just she looked bigger and stronger everywhere. She was kind of ragdolling her a little bit on the feet too. Um, and yeah, just dominated the position, uh, made adjustments. Paige was actually doing a good job of escaping the submission until the end when she turned the wrong direction and just gave it to her and it was over. So yeah, Paige has to real, you know, now she gets to test free agency, see what's out there for her, but uh, not the best look uh, ending your contract that way.
2: Yeah, I, I can see like the loss, like it It doesn't help. But I really believe that her, her interest level on the free agency market, I think it's going to be relatively similar. I think that if you're Bellator, you're still going to make an aggressive offer for her.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that the UFC counters does like? I mean, why doesn't the UFC want to be in the Paige Van Zandt business? I think it's more so not so much not wanting to be in
2: the Page Van Zandt business, just not at the the level that I think Van Zant wants to be paid. Um, when when you look at, you know, I'm not saying she's your your top level star, but I do feel that she comes with a, a level of notoriety, and this is a woman that's getting paid forty six and forty six. I can understand wanting to see uh, uh, something elsewhere. And I think, as I mentioned before, I think Bellator um, to promote her and Alima lay McFarlane. I think they could promote that into being it, at least something of like a notable television main event. And they're just starved right now for any kind of attention. Um, I, I don't think the loss is necessarily going to deter uh, Bellator and probably some other promotions from, wanting to land Paige Van Zandt because she's going to come with a, a bit of a spotlight with her. Um, we'll see UFC could ultimately, you know, see that there's still value in her and, and make her an offer. But I don't know. It, it seems just that the, everything is, is prime for her to, you know, go elsewhere. And I'm sure someone will, will pay her what she wants.
0: I mean, yeah, it definitely seems like uh, Bellator is interested in her. Um, I I just wonder, really, how much are they willing to pay her? Because she's notable and she will draw some attention, but I don't think she's like some real big needle mover, right? Like that. It feels like that point of her career is over, uh, at least in the UFC. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe she is. I don't know what she did for this pay per view. Probably nothing. Like I I think
2: her profile is not that high um, at the moment, and I don't think she's. It would all be in kind of Bellator, I think promoting her. Um, cause yeah, I, I don't think Paige Van Zandt is, you know, what was any kind of factor on this pay per view. So we'll, we'll see. It's a weird part of her career at this point. And also looking at her now where it's like, I think you understand like what the level, the skill level that Paige Van Zandt is at is, are there going to be significant improvements for her at the age of 26? Um and has been in the UFC now for six years.
0: Yeah, I mean a big problem is is getting her the right matchups for her to improve in, right? Like um, you know, Rebus was a but, huge which Bellator fan. is
2: Bellator will be better at. I mean, UFC, you're yeah. gonna get thrown to the wolves. I think Bellator, if they have a lot invested in her. I think they will creatively. You know, it's to their benefit that they they don't just throw her to someone uh, immediately. It's um, you know we we look at how they've built other fighters. Yeah, absolutely. So that was the main card um, on the prelims. Um, how much of the prelims did you get to see, Phil? I
0: got. I, I had the pleasure of seeing all of it, John.
2: Oh my goodness! Okay, well, um, I I saw most of it. I missed the first two fights on on Fight Pass, so you can uh, bring me up to speed. You missed, if I missed some it.
0: fights, Sean. How dare you? How dare you even appear on a show to discuss this when you? I'll didn't see, my, see I'll all see of myself
2: it. out right right away. <laughs> uh, so we had the debuting Yuri Pro Prohaska defeating Volkan Ozdemir, and this occurred in the second round. They had a very fun uh, opening round. Um, and then in the second, uh, Prohaska hit this high kick that wobbled Ozdemir. And then he faked this flying knee to use a jab that set up this fight ending right hand that put Ozdemir to sleep. This was a brutal knockout. This uh, earned him the performance of the night bonus, one of two of them. And, uh, Prohaska, who was the Ryzen light heavyweight champion when he left uh, their company, making his debut here, uh, knocks out Ozdemir in 49 seconds of the second round. I thought, you know, very, very strong debut for him.
0: Oh yeah, this was a thrilling fight. Uh, he came out with super exciting style, changing direction, taunting, playing with his hands, hands low at times, holding his hands, throwing shots. Uh, looked in trouble at points of this first round. I gave the first round to Ozdemir actually, but yeah, I was definitely able to land some beautiful power shots, some creative striking. He seems like an interesting personality, um, very exciting style, and it's exactly what the uh, light heavyweight division needs right now.
2: Yes. Do you think that we are too far away from it? like if this John Jones stuff does not get settled? Do you see an interim title being introduced? Like, how long do you keep this title on ice if John Jones is unwilling to fight right now?
0: Uh, that's a good question. I guess it really just it matters what is the fight that you want to do, right? Because do you really want to do a, a interim title fight between Corey Anderson and Dominic Reyes, right? Yes, <laughs> right. So I want to be talking to you at three in the morning after UFC two
2: fifty six Anderson versus Reyes.
0: Yeah, so um th- that's uh, I mean I think the UFC can can you know they can be a little bit patient with this one. Uh they don't need to rush in. And like John seems to be patient too. So you know, I'm always patient just, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, as we discussed on the uh on Thursday's show, you know, th- this negotiation during these times is a little bit different because, you know, these fights are booked a lot quicker and um, the fighters are needing to use uh, different tools for leverage. So a lot of that can play a factor into what fight they want. So if, if the UFC does want to book a title fight and they want John in there, maybe they will come to an agreement where he gets a little bit more or something. Yeah,
2: um, they. it was reported this week that uh, Tiago Santos and uh, Glover Teixeira, they're looking to put that fight together in September. And then I guess your contenders would be, yeah, Reyes, Blahovic. Um, yeah, that's what you're kind of looking at right now. Unless your man Corey Anderson, uh, makes uh, a big campaign for that. That's your light heavyweight picture. Uh, at the well,
0: well, well, let, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I'm not gonna, I can't, I'm gonna learn his name for how to pronounce it. Prokash. How do you say it? Uh, Prohaska. Prohaska. Okay. Prohaska, you know, very exciting debut. You put him in there with somebody else really quick. He and, he know, could shoot up
2: the ladder very quick. Like I think yeah. he will be in that top mix within a fight or two. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and just the fact that he has a unique style will make people be like, Oh, is this the one to beat John Jones? Could it be this guy? It's amazing. <laughs>
2: Then we had uh, Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos against Muslim Salikov. They went three rounds here. Uh, this was the fight that just fe- featured uh, a lot of spinning attacks uh, from uh, Salikov mainly, uh, but Zaleski Dos Santos as well. Um, I-, I thought. Uh Zaleski, Dos Santos, I had winning the first two rounds, second one fairly close, and then Salikov winning the third. Uh, the judges completely disagreed with this, or at least two of them did. Uh, one had it, 30-27 for Salikov. I didn't quite understand that one. Uh, and then 29-28, uh, one in each direction uh, for the split decision.
0: Yeah, I, had it, I actually had all three rounds for Dos Santos, although it was highly competitive close. I felt like Salikov strikes were a little bit more powerful, but there was just a little bit more volume on um, Dos Santos's. And then he was able to land some power shots uh, later in the fight, uh, but it was pretty competitive. Like it, it was certainly no cakewalk. So what was your reaction on the live stream when they read the 3027 card for Salakov? Ah, I mean, it, 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 that was certainly bizarre. I mean, there was a, there was, there was a couple on here that had some weird car scores, but you know, that's par for the course for a UFC event from some weird remote destination. Uh Machwan Americani
2: submitted Danny Henry. Uh he went for this guillotine and then transitioned, it was quite the transition, to an Anaconda choke. And right as I think it was Michael Bisping explained that Danny Henry has been training for to defend this specific submission and then all of a sudden he goes out cold. Uh it was just the timing of it from Bisping was just ne- ne- next level. Uh, MR, it was a very impressive submission, though. 315 of the first round. And we'll get into the fights that preceded this. God damn did this card need a finish by this point of the fight, uh, of the card.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, the, yeah, the the card was dragging. And then this was, was nice because it looked like we were even going to go over the 10 o'clock uh, start time. There was and- a serious concern that they were going to... Either have to
2: put one of these as like a post limb after the main event or just do like an overrun and the pay-per-view would have to feature like the last uh, prelim fight because I don't know the time management. This is the worst I've ever seen UFC handle the time management of their undercard, which they're usually on top of pretty easily. It's like a 30 minute block per fight and it always goes off without problem. But tonight was a mess.
0: There was so many Fight Island promos. My goodness. I got it. It's like, well, you know, people are already watching. Yeah. They, they're getting,
2: um, uh, Lawrence Epstein of the UFC. He mentioned like they are getting a site fee. Um, yes. I so heard this cl- is interesting. Clearly part of that deal was like promoting like the tourism aspect. Cause there was so mm-hmm. much like promoting like the tourism of Abu Dhabi. And I- I'm sure a lot of that, cause there was a lot of it in this show.
0: Well, one one thing, that, part of that uh, thing I read from Epstein was also that uh, Abu Dhabi was incurring the testing costs. They
2: they, and, they picked up a bunch of the costs. Yeah, like the travel okay. and the testing. It was, and like, so
0: you get the impression that they even um, did this like they're even pitching that it's like they're pitching Abu Dhabi as the safe COVID place or something. You know what I mean? Like you can right. come here, get tested. And you, you know, you, you can go on the beach and be okay or something. They were is... promoting
2: all to, all night, like the number of tests that they've administered. Um, at the start of the show, I mean, they had Megan O'Levy do like this walk and talk from the backstage area, just talking about like all the things that they have done, which I mean, to the viewer, they probably are intrigued to like hear that stuff. And it's like, okay, look at the precautions that they're putting in place. Um, but it was, yeah, it was interesting like they they made that a big focus of the broadcast
0: yes uh one note also on the abu dhabi thing uh you know in september when they had an, a fight in uh, this arena it was a scorcher uh it appears like they figured out air conditioning over there and, yes uh, they they actually made mention of it megan
2: olivi brought up that uh the heat is it's a cool air temperature this time in the arena Uh, For these athletes that had to wake up and fight between two in the morning and nine in the morning. Yeah. Okay, this fight was a mess. This next one, Leonardo Santos and uh, Roman Bogatov. So let's just let's just fast forward to the third round. Okay, because uh, Santos won the first two rounds, and he won the third, but nearly died in the process because Bogotov was like bound and determined to make sure that this guy uh, would not be able to procreate again after this. Uh, He, he hits Santos low and Santos is kind of exhausted from the second because he had this insane flurry where he let everything go and Bogotov survived the round. I thought it was a 10-8, but this guy had no energy left. So when he gets hit low, uh, whether it was from the second round or just he was in a lot of pain, maybe a combination of both, he took a long time to recover from this. So then the fight finally restarts. Bogatov hits him low again. There's no point deduction. So they continue going again when Bogatov now Lands an illegal knee. I could not believe what I was watching. Mark Goddard, like, lost his shit on this guy. He's like, What are you doing? And then Goddard just, like, drops the mic here by taking two points away from Bogotov. I was like, My God, I'm going to need a calculator to figure out how I'm scoring <laughs> this fight. It ends up being 29 26. Uh all three judges have it for Santos. I had it 29 25 because I thought the second was a was a 10-8 round. Uh just a mess of a fight. Like if you just want to see every foul imaginable committed, watch the third round of this fight because <laughs> Leonardo Santos was the most injured winner I've ever seen coming out of this fight where he just looked like he'd been hit by a truck.
0: Yes. Um I don't recall the last time I scored around 9-8. And that's, <laughs> and that's what this was. It right? was a 9-8, cause Bogotov did win this third round. <laughs> that's, so he that's ends right. up being 9-8 with the two-point deduction. Right? Now, one thing I want to mention, uh, people ask is like, oh, why didn't he disqualify him? And the reason why he didn't disqualify him was because Dos Santos could continue. He, he, he got the doctor in there. And then he consulted with Dos Santos. Had Dos Santos not been able to continue, it certainly would have been a disqualification.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was the thing. Like, could you have imagined if Bogatov, like, because he had, like, he hit this big uppercut at the end. Could you have imagined if this guy had won the
0: fight in the end with, like, a knockout? I think those. I think Bogotov could have actually won the fight with the knockout before these low blows if because Dos Santos was so tired from spending himself in that uh second round, it was such an it was actually a really great fight up until uh the the fouls,
2: yeah. And Santos has like the weirdest win streak, he's 40 years old. And he hasn't lost since March of 2010. Uh, but some of that is because he's missed a lot of time. He missed like almost three years, uh, between 2016 and 19. But after this win, in the most unlikely of scenarios, he now has an 11 fight win streak that is over a decade long in the UFC.
0: <laughs> Let me <laughs> ask you something. <laughs> Would you rather win like Dos Santos or lose like Van Zandt?
2: Oh, I'd i would absolutely lose like Paige did instead of win like Santos did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: this did not look fun, and this was I keep those UFC Santos, debut. My goodness i've been butchering people 's names all night i I deserve oh. a smack in the face
2: well, um this next fight uh, didn't have any smack in the face. it was just two guys doing nothing for two rounds, and then it picked up a little bit in the third i'm talking about Marcin Tibora and Maxim grecian um. Grishin. that's going to be me butchering the name. This fight was awful. The first two rounds, I mean, picture a terrible UFC heavyweight fight, and this was it times 10. In the third, Tybura finally uh, hit some knees and got a takedown, so we at least saw some top control here. It was a brutal fight. Tybura won by unanimous decision, 30-26, two 30-27s. I have nothing to add analysis-wise on this fight, other than skip it. Then let's skip it. Holly and Paiva versus... I have this frenetically spelled in front of me. Jalgus Jumagalov. Jumagalov. Yes. If you look at the spelling of this name, you would just say, my God, I do not know even how to start with this one. Jalgus Uh I had Paiva and uh, Jumagalov. <laughs> uh splitting the double first two rounds. yeah it's it's a tough one here uh jumagalov i had winning the third round uh but this guy also got hit really low and it was twice he got hit in the third round if you want to see uh fouls this undercard was for you uh piva ended up winning by decision 29 28 on all three scorecards i had it 29 28 the other way uh how did you score it phil be the tiebreaker between me and the judges
0: I did score it for Paiva. Uh the, the 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 low blows were pretty brutal. Uh this was um despite the loss uh the loss, this was a pretty good debut. We had a few debuts on this uh event. Uh and uh despite the fact that he did get the loss, I, I it was against a ranked opponent. Um so I I'm curious to see what he can offer. He showed a lot of uh, impressive skills in this fight. You mean uh Jumagulov. Jumagulov.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and Paiva missed weight as well. I mean, he came in. This was a, yes, he yes. Was 129 right. pounds for this bantamweight fight. So, I mean, Jumagulov also had to uh, deal with that as well. The, you know, the guy missed weight by three pounds.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: And then the first two fights, these are the ones where, uh, Phil, you can add whatever you would like. I did not see these ones. Uh, Carol Rosa defeating Vanessa Mello by unanimous decision. Uh, Rosa also missed weight. She was 141 pounds and Davey Grant knocked out Martine Day in 238 of the third round and got the other performance of the night bonus. Uh, any thoughts on those two fights?
0: Uh, not much to the Carol Rosa fight. Just Rosa clearly. Superior Mello really had nothing at all in this fight. And then the opener, the bantamweight fight between Davy Grant and Martin Day was actually a real cracker. Uh, Totally recommend it with a really uh, great finish. That was
2: UFC 251. So we want to open up the phone lines before we wrap up the show. So if if anyone is still there at uh, almost 3 in the morning Eastern time, uh, give us a call. Give us your thoughts on UFC 251. And uh, we can also look ahead uh, because they did announce fights for uh, next month. In addition to uh, the main event, uh, we have some new announcements for UFC 252, which is a pretty good pay-per-view card.
0: Yeah, and just before you do that, I'm just going to remind everybody about how to get on the call. All you need to do is join the post-live calls voice channel on Discord. Uh, Get in the queue there, and uh, I will unmute you and put you on the line. So why don't you want to talk about... Uh, that as I get the uh, first caller up okay Uh, well I was mentioning UFC 252 these were the fights that they announced
2: for the main card next month August 15th headlined by Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier for the heavyweight title in their trilogy fight it will also feature Junior Dos Santos against Jairzinho Rosenstruck Iwan Kudalaba against Magaman. Uh, Magomed Ankalaev in light heavyweight action. The delayed fight between Pedro Munoz and Frankie Edgar is going to happen now on August 15th uh, after Pedro Munoz had to remove himself from this Wednesday's card uh, as he tested positive for COVID-19. And then uh, the other fight that they added, Marlon Vera versus Sean O'Malley, which is a... I like that fight for Sean O'Malley. It is uh, I didn't want to see him throw into uh, the big wolves at bantamweight but marlon vera is a good step up for sean o'malley so i like that matchmaking and it's on a, a what's going to be a very big pay-per-view so another big audience for sean o'malley
0: uh yeah and that was a fight that uh was scheduled before but uh never came to fruition so it's good that it can uh, happen now all right, so I believe on the line right now we have our first caller John Fury three sixteen are you there?
1: yes, hello guys
0: hello, John How hi are you John guys? We're very good. We're very happy to have you here. Thank what you. did you I've think been here all night? <laughs> yes, uh what did you think of the fights
1: uh all but the main event was good i I didn't like the main event I was dis- it was disappointing mm-hmm. I picked Jorge Mazzadol to win and I really thought Kamara was going to stand a strike with him. I was really, and I, I just don't like that style. Like I respect amateur wrestling. I used to amateur wrestle, but like I didn't like him just clinching all time and doing, uh, a thousand, uh, uh, foot smashes or foot stomps.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, for the fighter's sake, like for a Kamaru Usman, there's only so many of those fights with Colby Covington that you have in your career, and it's probably not the the best strategy to go into. But I would say for this one with Usman, I I think he probably realized by especially by the end of that second round, Vidal pretty much had stamina for I would say a round and a half, and he wasn't going to get into a firefight with this guy, and he just he went to for what was a pretty safe game plan, but. Masvidal wasn't able to do anything to stop it. So, I mean, I don't disagree with you. It was not the most exciting fight in the world, but um, Usman took minimal damage and retained his title. So, sometimes that's that's the goal.
1: I, I agree. But if you're Usman and you're trying to gain popularity and you're trying to gain recognition, this is not the way to do it. You know, he has trouble selling fights. I mean, I think he's going to get a big payday because Jorge Masvidal stepped in, but like, I hope he doesn't join the list of guys that, uh, that are going to start griping for pay next year. And just, uh, I want to disagree with, I think, Phil a bit about ch- him trash talking. Uh, I don't think it's an issue with him trash talking. I think he has multiple, there's there's people that agree with me. There's, he has multiple personalities when it comes to talking. And I think he needs to just pick, stick to one because he's like very weird. Like, and there's a YouTube videos on this. Like, one, like he picks fights with guys backstage, like, with Jorge at the Super Bowl and Kobe, I think was at the buffet line. And then he, and he, he goes back and forth. Like one minute he says, you know, I'll stand and strike with Muzzle. Then he, then the next interview is like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to out wrestle him. And it's just like, it's back and forth. Like one minute he's saying he's the greatest of all time. And then now, and then he's the next interview before the way. And he's like, he respecting GSP and being like, I want, I want to face him. Like, you gotta he's got to make up his mind. I think there's multiple personality stuff. Is, is why he's not getting traction as a fighter cuz like he's probably could go down in history as one of the most dominant fighters ever if yep. he continues this path but are you going to sell fights are you going to start for pay? and the last thing i want to say is i think he's i think he's a little bit of a dirty fighter i don't know that's my opinion but i've heard past fighters say like he's becoming a, he had two headbutts which one of them i think cut open uh Masadaw in that match and then he had the glint shot like, I think he's becoming a, a bit of a dirty fighter. I don't know if, if you guys agree or not.
2: Uh, I don't really uh, s- On this card, I don't think he's even in, like, the, the top three of, no, uh, no. of, of, of egregious uh, fouls being committed. In fact, when that low blow was hit to Masvidal, I think Mosvidal very much uh, appreciated having the, the time to try and get a second wind uh, at, at the time. I mean, you know, fouls are going to happen. I, I don't look at Kamaru Usman as some uh, great offender.
1: Cause see, I gouged. Apparently, I gouged Kobe in the last fight, and then even like when he was on ultimate fighter, he was holding the cage like all the time when he would do his clinches. I mean, I, I don't care, but I'm just saying, like I'm just pointing it out there. Overall, I mean, I love the fights. I mean, what's what's next for uh, Volkanovski? Is it the re- do you do a rematch with Max, or is is who's the next in line for that fight?
0: Uh, we'll answer that, uh, after I, uh, put you off the, uh, line. Thank you so much for that no call, Cole, off, John. Uh, really appreciate, uh, you participating through the night. I really. Oh, sorry. I cut you off. There, John. Jeez, Phil.
2: Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I could see Volkanovski having a, a bit of a break right now while the Featherweight division kind of figures out who that next contender is. Uh, Zabit is supposed to be fighting Yair Rodriguez in September. Um, I guess Chan Sung Jung is is in that conversation. Um,
0: But the UFC really wants to do that uh, Ortega fight, I imagine. Like, that seems like the natural one for the Korean zombie.
2: So maybe you do those two fights and a challenger emerges out of there uh, and Volkanovski. I mean, Volkanovski tonight, he did say he would like to get another fight in this year. Uh, And if that's the case... um, I mean you might break off one of those, whether it be Jung or Ortega, uh, if you're not committed to that fight, or there's someone just sneaks their way in there. Um it would hard to be it would be hard to imagine like a Calvin Cater or Dan Ige uh being, you know, one fight away from a championship fight. I think your contenders are those four we listed.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Um, you know, because of the sort of scrambly nature of these fights, depending on what what the landscape looks like in the fall, you know. You know, you could end up with somebody uh, a bit on the outside, you know, like a Brian Kelleher or something like that. Like people who've been looking good lately are, um, you know. But uh, you know who I'm going to predict gets the next
2: featherweight title fight? Jose Aldo. Jose, ah, you do it. You do it. <laughs> he earned his title fight tonight yeah. at 145. Wow, ah, that's right. That's right. All right. Are you excited for this pay-per-view next month? Has it entered Uh, your orbit yet? Have you digested UFC 252 yet? Or are you looking at any of the uh, 55 cards that are going to happen before then between uh, Abu Dhabi cards, uh, fight nights at the Apex, and Tuesday night contenders coming back?
0: Uh, Well, I don't really watch the Contender series. Uh, That's just not... That's sort of like too much uh, (laughs) MMA for me at that point. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to that heavyweight title fight. Um, There's other fights uh, coming up on Fight Island that are very exciting. I mean, this Till versus Whitaker fight uh, is really, really great. Uh, I think Till has a lot of potential at middleweight. I don't think he should have ever been at welterweight personally. Um, so there's a lot of great stuff coming up, but I'm not even sure what's on the uh, the next pay-per-view other than that Cormier-Miochic fight. Uh,
2: well, while you were getting the, uh, the call ready, I did read them out. But here, I'll get your, your reaction oh, yeah, to yeah. The, the main card here. So Miochic-Cormier, Junior Dos Santos, Jairzinho Rosenstruck, uh, Magomed Ankalaev versus Iwan Kudulaba, Pedro Munoz against Frankie Edgar, uh, which was supposed to be this Wednesday. That's been delayed. And then Sean O'Malley, Marlon Vera. That's the pay-per-view main card.
0: It, it, it's a it's a good card. I mean, it's not gangbusters, but uh, they're really relying on that big uh, heavyweight main event,
2: which I think is is going to draw that that show. Like I I see that card being really big next month, like bigger than tonight.
0: Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't you don't think so? That. I don't think so. I I mean, I think I. Th- I think it's a big heavyweight fight. It's it's really interesting for the MMA fans. I'm not sure how much it's going to be able to. Uh, translate it's going
2: to be the Cormier's fight. last fight. He's probably going to be all over ESPN that week. Um, I think both will be all over ESPN that week. Yeah, I I don't know if we'll, we'll we'll actually get the numbers to come out to see which one was bigger, but I I would take that bet if you want to make it about next month topping tonight's show.
0: Uh, but how about well what if we use the ratings as the barometer like the prelim ratings yeah although these prelims were not good so maybe that's not the best measurement yeah but what we've learned
2: during this whole pandemic period for ufc it's that some of their tv numbers have done way larger than you would think mm-hmm. based on the lineup so i mean who's to say tonight's prelims don't do an impressive... I'm sure they're going to do a very good number. I guess it's the question of uh, how big. Um, Because name-wise, I mean, there there was not a whole lot uh, here on this undercard.
0: Yeah, it it, it was definitely slim pickings, but uh, the main card was huge three-title fights. And then, of course, Masvidal at the end there, uh, stepping in, uh, made it a mega event. And then you had the allure of this fight island thing uh, that, you know, had been talked about for months on end so i think all of those things play a factor and also uh you know basketball is going to start up baseball is going to start up so there's going to be point. a little bit more competition in the sporting space um i do think that there will be an appetite for a big heavyweight fight but i just think that there's a little bit more intrigue around this event but who knows it's it's not that far away all right. Uh, is that going to wrap it up for us, Phil? You tell me. Yes, that is it. I mean, it's three o'clock. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> to everybody who's, who wants us to keep going, but uh, I do have to call it at some point.
2: All right. Uh, thank you to everyone uh, that tuned into the post show live, as well as everyone that hung out on YouTube tonight with Phil and Eric Marcotte. And I'm so glad that I did tune in early, (laughs) early enough so that I could hear Phil and he got caught by calling him Eric Marcote. That was my highlight of the pre-show.
0: I was so flustered because honestly, the first time I ever talked to Eric, the first thing I asked him was how to pronounce his name. So I never called him by the incorrect name. And then when we were uh, doing our, uh, like our, Tech tests earlier today. I, you know, I'm like, it's it's Eric Marcotte. You sleep on a cot. You don't sleep on a coat. And then, you know, that's you know is that uh, sort of thing to remember. And it it messed me up. <laughs> See, I I had
2: the ego. I never even asked him how he pronounced his name. <laughs> I just went ahead and started pronouncing it that way because that's how I assumed it was. That's that's what a narcissist does.
0: Well, Eric is is amused by all this discussion uh, over his name. I mean, it's consumed uh, the post-media world the past week. Maybe we should put a vote out and we can determine which way should we
2: pronounce it. He doesn't get a say in it anymore. I I really like that idea. That's brilliant. Okay. Well, uh, you guys did a a fantastic job uh, and we'll be back next month on Saturday, August 15th, UFC 252. We'll see you guys might be bigger than tonight uh, with Cormier uh, Miocic, but that's the next big uh, pay-per-view. And Eric will have reports on the site uh, on all the upcoming fight Island cards. So you can look forward to his work up at postwrestling.com. Phil uh, final word is yours. Anything you want to uh, make mention of.
0: Oh, I just want to thank everybody who joined us in Discord and on YouTube today. It was a big success. We had a lot of people watching. We've got a lot of people watching right now. Um, Probably our biggest MMA event that we've put on. Uh, It was a lot of fun, a lot of great fights, met a lot of new people from all over the world. And hey, just keep hanging out in Discord, keep contributing. We're going to keep doing, uh, you know, interactive events for the post community and uh, just glad to be part of it all. Awesome. Uh, Great job tonight, uh, Phil. Eric, everyone for listening. Uh, That's it.
2: That concludes post-wrestling's UFC 251 post-show. Good night slash good morning.